All right, let me say a prayer for us, then we'll get started. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the study, the fruitfulness on the front line that we're going through as a church. I uh, thank you that our small groups are going through it, but right now we're just going to stop and we're going to set aside a space to hear from you through the Bible, through the scriptures, through ultimately what is your word. Would you speak to us, speak to our minds, our hearts, our lives, and cause us to be just a little bit more like Christ through it. In his name we pray, amen. Now today's sermon, uh, chapter four in the book, if you don't have a copy, please, we have uh, them in the back. I'd love to give you a, a free copy of Fruitfulness on the Frontline, the, the book we're going through together as a church. Uh, but today we're looking kind of at chapter four along with Galatians, and the, the, the topic is modeling God's character, modeling godly character. And if you're wondering why uh, they spell modeling a little bit weird, I got this graphic online. It's because originally this is a British uh, small group. This is a British series. So uh, for those of you that don't like uh, that, just hold, hold on. What better way to start a message on character than to share a time when I wasn't uh, particularly modeling God's character? Now, I didn't always want to be a pastor. For a while there, I wanted to be in the Marine Corps. Now, some of you have heard this story, uh, but I want to share it with you again. Uh, I, when I was kind of thinking about being in, uh, joining the Marine Corps, I, I talked with a recruiter. I took the basic aptitude test. It's kind of like a, a basic entrance exam to get into the military. And I even reviewed my medical uh, kind of issues with them. And I gave them what I had. And as I went through the medical thing, I shared with them that I was getting allergy shots. Now, this is allergy shots for things like pollen and mold and dogs and kittens. I'm allergic to kittens. It's kind of sad. But uh, the Marine Corps wasn't super in, in favor of that. They didn't want you to be getting allergy shots because they, they're suddenly concerned, oh, is this someone who's going to have an allergic reaction that's out in the field? Makes sense. Um, so I had a choice. I could either tell the truth uh, and kind of get disqualified or I could just kind of put it under the table and keep going. Well, I put it under the table and I kept going. And this led to me going down to Denver. So I lived in the mountains, Estes Park, Colorado. I drove uh, down to Denver one snowy day and went through what is called MEPS, the Military Entrance Processing Center or uh, service. And I went down there through uh, for my kind of physical review, and it was going well. And I was passing with, you know, flying colors. I wasn't sharing the, the complete truth. And finally, at the very end, the Holy Spirit had just been convicting me, convicting me all day that you can't do this. Like, you can't start your, your career as a—and I was actually interviewing uh, to become a, an officer in the Marine Corps. Like, you can't start— uh, a, a leadership position this way. And the, the question that kept coming to my mind uh, was, if you can't lead yourself, how can you hope to lead others? If you can't lead yourself, how can you lead others? And finally, at the end of it, I did go and kind of confess to the, the top doctor and say, hey, here are some things that we should probably review. And uh, I, so I told him my mistake. I submitted my medical records, and now I'm a pastor. So, uh, God is good. Now, we're looking at character, and that was kind of a failure in my character, uh, but the lesson I was, the Holy Spirit was teaching me in that moment is still true. 
as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we're called uh, to, to kind of share the gospel with others, to, to reach out, to be uh, godly witnesses. And if we have the best message in the world, it could be the most powerful message. The gospel truly is the best message in the world. It's the most powerful. It's the most life-changing But if that message hasn't transformed us in our characters, if it's not molding us and and leading us, we're going to lose something. People are going to be a lot less likely to believe what we're saying. And so modeling godly character, having that in our lives, is very important to uh, kind of the fruitfulness in our own lives. Now, this series, Fruitfulness on the Frontline, you got a little bit of an introduction earlier. Uh, Your front line is anywhere that you are around people that don't believe like you, that don't believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. And fruitfulness on the front line is how all the different ways you can make a positive impact on that front line for the sake of Jesus Christ. And those of you that went to your small group this week uh, discovered that there are kind of six different fruits that this book outlines, and we're going through one of them today. So there's a variety of ways, and this one begins with self-reflection, modeling God's character. Now, the word frontline is not particularly a gardening term, unless you're at war with the weeds, a front line is a military term, and the front line is where the, the kind of your, your, um, your forces are as close to the enemy as they can get. So that's where the battle takes place. And I hope through this series that you don't begin to view the non-Christians around you as uh, the enemy, because that's not what we were called to do at all in this series. Uh, instead, what our front line uh, should be a reminder of is that when we, when we go out into the world and when we're, when we're seeking to share the message of Jesus Christ, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And our true enemy is a, a personal being named Satan. He is the author of evil. He is uh, the, 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 kind of the, the originator of sin. And he's the one who wants to enslave. He's our true enemy And anyone that doesn't know Jesus is caught by him. And so we're seeking to rescue them, not make battle, not make war. This battle, however, doesn't really begin out there. It begins inside. It begins in our identities. It begins in our characters. It begins in our hearts. If we're called to be successful frontline soldiers, we're called to be successful people. We're we're called to let God mold and shape us so that we can go out and be effective for us. Now, today we're looking at the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. We're looking at the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. We're looking at a passage that does talk about character and ultimately has a deeper message for us. And Paul, I believe, was writing a similar message to the church at Galatia. So Galatians is written to some people in a specific time, a specific place. They were located in kind of southern Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. So uh, picture like Cyprus and just go up a little bit and to the, the right. Uh, and this, this church actually shares some similarities to you guys, to us. This church, when Paul was writing this letter, was probably about a year old. 
maybe, maybe a little younger, probably no older than two years. It was a new church. See, Paul went on a missionary journey. In his, uh, in his journeys, he went on three. Now, Paul is a, an apostle. He's an early church leader, and he helped found the, kind of the church in the Middle East right at the beginning after Jesus' death and resurrection. And these mission, on, the, on this first missionary journey, he went through Galatia in A.D. 46 through 48. And about a year later, false teachers had infiltrated this church. They came to destroy it, and Paul writes them a letter. And these false teachers in this church uh, were trying to destroy the message of Jesus Christ. That's how they were going to destroy kind of the, 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 the flock, was teach them wrong things. And they were, they were teaching that salvation is not simply by faith in Jesus Christ alone, that, uh, that, that salvation is ultimately not a grace message. It's not a free gift because they were teaching this message. They were teaching that, uh, yes, you can be a Christian, so they were preaching this message to non-Jewish people. So Galatia is full of Gentiles, non-Jewish people. They wouldn't have grown up Jewish. They wouldn't have been a part of the rituals and the customs. And these false teachers are coming in and saying, yes, you can be a Christian, but you also have to practice all of kind of the Jewish religious practices. And one of the practices that they wanted these new converts to do is something called circumcision. And circumcision is incredibly invasive, and it's a, it's a hard thing to do, especially if you're an adult. And they were saying, you need to get circumcised in order to be saved. You need to get this mark in your flesh in order for God to love you. And Paul's message to them is that God is concerned not about a mark in the flesh. He's concerned about your heart. He's concerned about what is on the inside that salvation is through faith, by grace. Verses 19 through 20, uh, 21 describe the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh, we're going to get to this, uh, but they really are defining uh, kind of who these false teachers were. And Paul is saying, uh, you need a different message. You need a, a message that is fruitful, that is of God. One of the most powerful message, messages these Christians could be giving the false teachers, how they could be pushing back, is they could say, you could say, look at what God has done in our lives. Look at how God has transformed us. Look at the word and look at how it has changed us. It's not about these outward acts that we have to do to earn God's pleasure. God is already in love with us. God is already transforming us. So as God leads them, as God molds these early Christians, they're going to become a witness for him against these false teachers and to the surrounding community. And that's a message for us today as well. As God molds you, as God takes a hold of your life and changes your identity and changes your character and changes everything about you, God wants everything, that is going to become a positive witness for the message of Jesus Christ. And this leads me to the first point. We model the character of God. As Christians, as believers, as people that trust in Jesus Christ, we're called to model the character of God. Now, the first way is modeling godly character in our series. And Paul doesn't actually open by describing God's character. In Galatians uh, verse 19, he's talking about the works of 
the flesh. And he's been saying in this passage, verses 16 through 18, uh, that, uh, that if you try to uh, control the flesh, if you, if you try to just earn God's favor by doing lots of good works, this is really where you're going to end up. These are going to be the signs of a life not changed by God. But instead, if your life is changed by God, you're going to have good signs. But first he talks about the works of the flesh, uh, which is human nature. Typical human nature. Now, I believe at our core, people are not good. Now, that's kind of an interesting belief. Uh, most people, if you're just having com- a coffee with them, would probably disagree. They'd say, well, p- people are generally good. And I would say, actually, no. But I-, I also wouldn't say people are basically bad. I wouldn't say they're basically evil. Instead, what I would say is people are basically broken. See, we were created good. Genesis chapter 1, God created everything, and we were good. But then Adam and Eve... And they represented all of us. They chose to disobey God, and suddenly everything became broken. Everything became marred by sin. Outside, creation became marred by sin, and inside, inside our hearts, that became marred by sin. So we still reflect what could be a wonderful relationship with God. We still reflect who God is, but not perfectly because we're broken And we need a rescue from that, but we're going to get to that a little bit later. As typical humans, we distort God. We distort his reflection. We distort his character. And this passage kind of gives us a whole bunch of different ways that we distort the character of God, but I'm not going to explain each and every single one of them. Instead, I've kind of clumped them into three categories. The first way we distort God's character is sexually. Now, this is coming straight from our passage. It talks about sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, drunkenness. It's a drunkenness that leads to sexual immorality, orgies, and the like. Now, I believe this means these are all ways of describing uh, people when we take advantage of others. See, God cares about more what we do with our flesh than a mark on our flesh, What we do with ourselves and how we treat others speaks to what is in our hearts. See, we all have a yearning. We all have a desire, don't we? We all have a desire. If you're a person, if you're a human being, you have a desire for love. You have a desire to be loved and to share that love with others. Uh, But your love ultimately is, is a love that cannot be met on a human plane, It's so deep, it's so rooted that it can only be met by God. See, we were created for relationship with God, to be known and loved by God and to know and love God, and we broke that relationship. And now we wander about in this world, and perhaps this is your story at one point or someone you know, and we begin to look for God's love in other people. And one of the ways we try to satisfy that love is sexually, by taking advantage of others because we're looking for that love that we were created for, but ultimately we will never find it. We can only find it in a relationship with God. No matter how deep we try to scratch that that itch, only God can satisfy that inner desire. Now the Greek word for sexual immorality here is a very interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word porneia, porneia. 
Now, this encompasses all sinful desires, all uh, sexual uh, in nature sinful desires. And it's a reminder to us as we think about our temptations today to see God in the midst of uh, very real and, and, and hard temptations. If you're someone who struggles with sexual immorality, maybe you struggle with pornography, this will impact how you treat others. This will impact how you treat your front line, whether you objectify people or are willing to have a relationship with them. And if you are someone who struggles with that, please come talk to me. I, I'm not going to judge you. I'm just going to try to encourage you and hold you accountable. Please, come talk to me because uh, uh, pornography is, is not just a bad habit. It is not just a simple addiction. It is demonic. It is truly demonic, and we want to defeat that. We want to cast that out. So one of the ways we distort God's character in a, in a weird way, but a, a true way, is sexually as we try to take advantage of others because we're yearning for that thing that only God can satisfy and second, we, take, we distort God's character spiritually. And we do this in kind of do-it-yourself religion. Our passage talks about idolatry and witchcraft. And both idolatry, so the worship of idols, fake idols, uh, both idolatry and kind of sorcery, witchcraft, have one thing in common. They attempt to control God. They, con- uh, they attempt to control his nature. See, if we offer incense or money to an idol, we're trying to buy the spirit behind that idol. We're trying to uh, buy that spirit's influence in our life. The God of the Bible cannot be bought. He doesn't want a, a relationship with us based on currency. He's given us a much better way in his word. If we place crystals around our home to try to ward off evil spirits and attract good spirits, we're also rejecting God's character because God, uh, God created crystals. He will not be controlled by something he created, whether a tiny rock or by us. He wants a real relationship with us. He doesn't want a uh, kind of a, an attempt to control him. Maybe we try to connect with God through things like meditation. But in so doing, we, we can open up ourselves uh, to darkness if we, we try to do that through kind of this modern-day mysticism where we're trying to connect with a higher being, but just any sort of being. God provides a much simpler, clearer, truer way. It's through the word. He actually reveals himself. Do-it-yourself religion, it clouds. It clouds belief. It confuses. But Jesus came to set the captive free. Jesus can set uh, kind of this thing. If you're struggling with it, he can set you free. Please come talk to me. Another way we destroy God's, uh, distort God's character is relationally. Relationally, the words hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, angers, selfish ambition, dissensions, faction, uh, factions, envy, these all describe putting myself at the center, me above others, because I'm more important to them so than, than them. I have the desire, I have the, I have the right to get angry because, well, my rights have been trampled on. I'm more important than them. 
I have the right to be bitter because, well, they hurt me, and I'm ultimately more important than them. And this is a distortion of God's character because who ultimately is most important? Well, it's God. And every single human being is made in God's image. That means we all have value. We all actually have equal value before God. Now, Paul warns that distorting God's character in these ways will bring disaster on this local church. And it can certainly bring disaster in our lives, personally, corporately. And ultimately, it doesn't reflect God. It's just not a good thing because we want to reflect God because he is good and we're not. NPR, uh, wait, wait, don't tell me, recently told the story of the world's grumpiest boss. I'm going to share this story kind of illustrating some of these characteristics. All right, so the world's grumpiest boss, Mike Davis, was not the world's most successful businessman. In fact, his oil business eventually went bankrupt. But when he died this week, so very recently, we lost the man who may have been the world's grumpiest boss. His memos from his glory years have been saved and passed around for generations. For example, quote, do not speak to me when you see me. If I want to speak to you, I will do so. I want to save my throat. I don't want to ruin it on you by saying hello. And another favorite. There will be no birthday celebrations, birthday cakes, levity, or celebrations of any kind within the office, the boss wrote on February 8, 1978. This is a business office. If you have to celebrate, do it after office hours on your own time. His longtime associate, Robert, once said, Tiger Mike could have been an angry TV policeman with a heart of gold, except there was no heart of gold. Other opinions he had. Handwriting takes much longer than a typewriter. You're wasting your time, but more importantly, you're wasting my time. If you don't know how to type, you, can, you better learn. Another one. Anyone who lets their hair grow below their ears to where I can't see their ears means they don't wash. If they don't wash, they stink. And if they stink, I don't want them around me. Apparently, his former employees uh, went to his funeral just to make sure he was dead. <laughs> If you were to die, how would your coworkers talk about you? <laughs> would they say, oh, man, I, we've lost someone? Or would they say, oh, man, I'm glad that person's gone? As typical humans, as, as people who are caught in the flesh, the works of the flesh, who want to please God through our works, we just keep messing it up. We keep distorting God's character, and this is just rooted in who we are since the fall we do it over and over again. We do it a variety of ways. But there is hope because we can be fruitful. We can be changed and molded by the Holy Spirit. So how do we do this? Well, we model the character of God through the Spirit of God. See, to model God's character, we need someone to come into our lives and overcome us, <laughs> overcome our hearts, overcome our sin and our natural bent to me first. Now, the Holy Spirit, who is he? He's the third person of the Trinity. So as a, as a kind of Orthodox Christian church, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each one is God, but they're also their, their own unique person. So one God, three persons. And the Holy Spirit also comes into our lives uh, like a gardener. We talked about that last week. And and the Holy Spirit is seeking to work in our lives to produce fruit, to produce lives that reflect God and his character. 
Now, I'm going to go through a list of, of these signs of life, looking at each one of the words in verses 22 as we talk about love, joy, peace. This comes from the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible, and uh, I'm going to expand a little bit, and you're welcome to take some notes as we go through, but these are all signs of life. What is fruit? It's a, it's a sprouting object. It's, a, it's something that gives life. These are signs of life that we see in our life as the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms us. So first, we have love. It's defined as sacrificial, unmerited deeds to help a needy person. Now, this, this fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It starts the series in verse 22 because it is kind of the peak. Uh, it's the peak fruit. You could stop here and just kind of say, it's done, and this is all we need, ultimately, is love. The greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbors. Uh, because if you look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, it says, If I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I have nothing. I am nothing. See, we can have a great witness, but we need love. We can do amazing things for God, but we ultimately need love. Because when we express love for others, when we, we express uh, sacrificial, unmerited acts of kindness to, to help needy people, to help other people around us, we're, expect, we're, we're expressing a characteristic of God himself, that God is love, that God has that attribute. So this week, uh, just a kind of a practical way you can apply this to your life is ask God to help you love those around you. That's a way we can ask the Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, come and help me love my front line. Maybe you don't like your office. Maybe you don't like your coworkers or your job hours or your customers. Ask God to give you greater love for them. Another fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy, an inner happiness not dependent on outward circumstances. For some of us, this can be hard. If you don't enjoy your job or if you don't enjoy what you're doing, you don't have much joy. Well, ask the Holy Spirit to come in and help you appreciate what you're doing. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you that joy, to give you supernatural joy. Remember, we believe in a God that can bring life out of death. God can bring life out of your everyday death that you feel. God can produce joy. Uh, peace. Harmony in all relationships. Love, joy, peace. Now, this word peace in the New Testament, there's a, there's a, it's based on a word in the Old Testament called shalom. And shalom is this whole idea of, of prosperity, of whole, whole life well-being. See, the gospel, when it gets into our lives and it transforms us, it gives us a desire to bring peace, to bring harmony, to bring well-being to those around us. And one of the ways that we can be doing this in our lives is if uh, just be thinking about how can I bring kind of shalom, how can I bring the peace of God uh, to those around me, to my front line, to my neighbors, to my coworkers. If there's conflict, we're going to go through a series on peacemaking and conflict in the spring. Uh, if there's conflict, how can you not be running away from that conflict, but actually saying, God, I'm going to try to bring peace into this situation, peace to those around me, and so model the peace that you desire us to experience through a relationship with you. Uh, the next one is forbearance. Now, maybe some of you have heard this passage, love, joy, peace, and patience. 
Well, the, the original word here is much better defined as forbearance because it's getting at this idea of, of, hard, of a long-suffering, kind of uh, endurance through hardship. Patience, you know, I can be patient when I'm like waiting for, uh, you know, like a movie to come out that I want to go see, but that's not really enduring hardship, is it? Instead, uh, this idea of forbearance or long-suffering is getting at this idea that we're to put up with others, even when we're severely tried, that we're not to just run away when we enter into difficult relationships. That's our natural tendencies. That's my tendency is to run away. But God says a fruit of the Spirit, a way that we can identify that the Holy Spirit is at work in us is when we stick those things out, even when it's hard. Now, this list, I'm going to pause real quick. This list, I don't want it to be a discouragement to you because it's easy to see how my life aligns with the first uh, kind of things that we talked about, the works of the flesh. You know, I, I, I take advantage of others. I, I put my own needs first. I'm selfish. I, I get angry. And it's sometimes it's hard to see love, joy, peace, forbearance uh, coming to fruit in my life. But ultimately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. God is, uh, is at work inside of us, bringing this fruit to life. And we can align ourselves with it. We can, we can open ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, seeking to be on the same page. But we need to trust God that he is doing these things. So this isn't, shouldn't be a checklist, but it's more like a production schedule. It's like what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives already, even if we can't always see it. Going forward, kindness, doing thoughtful deeds for others, goodness, showing generosity to others, faithfulness, trustworthy, and reliability. I love that at Cornerstone we do, you know, we just did a, a frontline story today. And if you have a story, please come talk with me after the service. But we also do faith stories, which is kind of like your personal testimony. If you haven't given yours yet, please come talk to me. But we define faith stories as stories of God's faithfulness. So it's not ultimately about me and how great I am. It's about how good God is and how faithful God is in our everyday, uh, in our lives to bring us to him. We can model the faithfulness of God when we are trustworthy, when we are reliable around others, to our neighbors, when we're a good neighbor, when we, uh, when we do a good job at work, when we get things done on time, when we show up early, when we, uh, when we get projects done and we do them in an excellent way. This can model the character of God and kind of add to our testimony. Another one is gentleness, another fruit, meekness and humility. We speak truth in love. As Christians, we're called to speak truth in situations on our front lines, but also in the kind of the church. We speak truth in love, not in victory, not as, hey, I'm the winner. I can, I can uh, kind of speak the truth, but definitely not in love. And the final one is self-control. Victory over sinful desires. This is the uh, only one that I really didn't like the, uh, the definition. Uh, because in our own power, you and me, we can never have victory over uh, sin. We can certainly, uh, through the Holy Spirit, conquer desires. But ultimately, we're not going to be victorious over sin. We need the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to wrangle 
the works of the flesh and transform us into the, the holy, uh, into fruit, to transform our lives, to give us God's character. And we get that as the Holy Spirit does that in our lives. So, how does the Holy Spirit do this? We've kind of looked at the works of the flesh. We've looked at what, what we should be. And so how do we bring those two together? You know, I listed some ways that we can be practice the, practicing these things in our lives. Uh, but ultimately, if it is the Holy Spirit working in us, what can we do about it? Well, we can keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Well, how do we do that? The Holy Spirit's job main job is this very important task. It's this task of shining the light of the gospel, the light of the scriptures, the light of reality on Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's job is to say everything ultimately is about Jesus Christ. This is how we keep in step with the Holy Spirit by taking our eyes off ourselves and our own sins and our own failures and putting it on Jesus. Because if we look at that list, that fruit of the Spirit, and look at it as a checklist, we're going to fall short. But I know someone who doesn't fall short. His name is Jesus. We model the character of God through the Spirit of God in view of the Son of God. We take our eyes off our own deficiencies and we put them on, the efficient, on Christ and all of his efficiencies and how great he is and how, uh, how Christ-like Christ is. See, there's only one person who can model the character of God. It's God. And praise God, God was born and he came in flesh and he dwelt among us. And he lived just like you and me. And every single day of Jesus' life, he modeled the character of God perfectly. This is why verse 24 points to Jesus. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Right after it comes the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to shine the light on Christ, on his life. And to remind you and me of this simple truth. All your acts of the flesh, all the ways that you don't model God's character, all the ways you fail every day, all the ways I fail every day, if you know Jesus Christ, those works, those acts are dead. God put those to death on the cross. They're not just something he wiped away. He put them to death. He put them in the tomb. He put them six feet under so that you could live. So that you don't have to be defined by the works of the flesh, but you can be defined by the works of Jesus. See, in Jesus, I receive love. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. Jesus gives us his life. In Jesus, I am joy. Hebrews 12.2 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Who is his joy? It's anyone that knows him. You are God's joy. You become joy through Christ as you focus on him, as you receive just the gift of what he's done for you. In Jesus, I experience peace. 
I can experience the peace that surpasses all comprehension as Jesus molds and changes my heart, producing peace in me that I can then share with those around me. In Jesus, I have forbearance. In Jesus, I am patient because he went to the cross without making a noise. He was the lamb. He was the silent sheep that went to its death. That's who I am in Jesus. In Jesus, I'm kind. In Jesus, I'm good. In Jesus, I'm faithful and gentle and have self-control. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is molding you to become more like Jesus Christ every single day. Stop fighting it. (laughs) Stop fighting it. Seek Christ. See, in Christ, you're completely forgiven. You're holy, but there's still this process of becoming more and more like him over the course of your life. I wanted to bring a real picture of encouragement today, so I brought a picture of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. (laughs) This is a picture of the last hundred years. All right. Now, this is not a commentary on finance. This is a reminder. So if this were a graph of what it is like for God to make you more and more like Jesus Christ, this could be a graph of your life. When you start to come to know him, you don't look very much like Christ. You don't have godly character. But through the course of your life, God changes you so that you look more and more like Jesus every single day. And ultimately, we're going to have great days. We're going to be like, wow, I really looked like Jesus today. We're going to have down days. We're going to have really down days. But you've got to trust the Holy Spirit. Even if I'm broken, even if, I, if I'm not the best character witness today, God's not given up on me. My salvation is not dependent on my character. It's dependent on the character of Jesus. And by the time we attain glory, by, by the time we enter in, we die, we have attained nothing. By the time we get there, we can trust that I'm going to be a million bucks, because God is going to change me. He's going to glorify me. He's going to, he's going to do it. The Holy Spirit's going to transform my life. How does the Holy Spirit do it in this life? By directing you to Jesus. Next time you want to think about your failures as a kind of a, a godly example, think about the successes of Jesus. We model the character of God through the Spirit of God in view of the Son of God. I wanted to close by sharing an encouraging story, and this is a video, actually. Uh, It's done by Christianity Today, and it's a video of someone just modeling godly character in their everyday lives. find that a lot of people have expectations of mechanics, that they're uh, swindlers, they're cheats, um, they fool people into doing things that don't need to be done. We're really trying uh, to change the whole feeling people have about mechanics, uh, that they are trustworthy, they do care about your car, they do care about you, they want it to be safe, they want it to be reliable. And, uh, And I hope we're accomplishing that in the way we treat people. Hi, it's a great morning here at Zulums. This is George. Can I help you? 
became a Christian, I went into the pizza business and then um, into real estate. And while I was in real estate, I was doing deals all over the world. But then uh, everything fell apart and we lost everything. And um, the only thing I had left was a quilt, uh, a automotive business that I had started and I took over the business. And I was at church one day and a friend, a good friend of mine was introducing me to his father for the first time. And his father said to me, oh, you are the mechanic. And I looked at him and in my mind, I'm going international real estate, uh, money. And then I just looked at him and I said, yes, I'm the mechanic. I started realizing this is where God has me right now. If something changed, something will change, but um, I've got to change my attitude. There's a purpose in being here. And as that purpose became more clear on uh, reaching people, talking to people, realizing that there was no separation, what I did at work and what I did at church were the same thing. I'm here to do his will, not my own, and not for my purpose, but for his. Um, so I really started liking it. Oh, my pleasure, thank you. Have a great day. Keys are in it, stickers on, you're all set to drive. Okay, God bless. There has to be joy in this. God promised joy. He didn't just promise it at home and at church. promise financial wealth but he did promise joy and if you can't find it eight hours a day there's something wrong and it may just be that you don't know to call on him I need more than this Lord give me give me joy this is where God has me you know I could be in a prison in Iraq singing hymns unto the Lord because I was preaching the gospel but I'm here I, I love what I'm doing right now, and, and God has me here, and it provides a, uh, a benefit to people, and it's just working out well.